I want to talk about the faithfulness of God, because that's what I, I got in terms of what I, I got out of this passage as I reread it this week and studied it and looked at it. But I'd really want to start with Deuteronomy 31.6, because it's important to understand that God never leaves us or forsakes us. And there's a word that we all know by now in Hebrew, it's Chazak, be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble before them. For Adonai, your God, he's the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. Different translations say it differently, but the idea is the same. He will never leave us nor forsake us. It's repeated in Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lifestyle free from the love of money, which actually goes well with uh, Sam's drosh as well. And be content with what you have, for God himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But I'd like to uh, just give an overview of this parsha. Genesis 12, we see that God tells us of his faithfulness as he's calling out this man, Abram, to become a mighty nation that will be a blessing to the world. And uh, this requires the faithfulness of God as he is being prophetic. Right from the beginning of this passage, he's being prophetic. He's, he's saying of Abraham that you will be a nation, that I will bless you, and that uh, I will give you the land. And... Um, so at the end of chapter 12, uh, we see the first test of the promise that God makes to them, because of course, Abraham, or Abram at that time, and Sarai, uh, being people, they sinned. And what did they do? Well, as they went to Egypt before, uh, because of a famine, and I don't see anywhere in the word where it says that God said they should go to Egypt, but they went anyway. And secondly, uh, as you know, Abraham lies to Pharaoh and to the people and says that his wife is his sister. Yet, God was faithful. God worked it out for good, whether it was his will or not. We don't need to worry about that at this moment. God worked it out for good, and because they, they left with more than what they came with, which is a good thing. God didn't seem to punish Abraham for going to Egypt without his direction, and God was still faithful. Yes, sir. A praise report? Donna's blood pressure just dropped, and she is discharged. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We like praise reports. So, and, and God was faithful, uh, even though I think Abraham wasn't at that moment a great ambassador for God uh, to uh, Pharaoh and to the people there. In chapter 13, we see, as we heard, Lot separates from Abram, and uh, there was, livestock was too plentiful, the shepherds got into disagreements, as, as Wendy so beautifully uh, gave us the uh, reading there with lots of oomph. And um, so you get the sense that Abraham was, had faith and he was trusting God because he said, Lot, wherever you want to live, go for it, I'll live somewhere else. 
So that's fine. In chapter 14, as we know, uh, Lot is rescued. And finally, Abram has this mysterious um, meeting with um, the fellow that everybody wants to pronounce his name right. And we don't really know how that is, except we'll call him Melchizedek or Melchizedek. Either one who I believe actually was Yeshua in the flesh. But we talk about that some other time. Um, if you'd like to know some of the basis for that understanding, you can also re uh, read the book, Who Ate Lunch with Abraham? I think it goes over it pretty well. Uh, and so uh, through this meeting, I think both God and Abraham showed faithfulness to each other. And then we get to chapter 15. And again, we heard God comes to Abraham in a vision saying, don't fear, Abraham. I am your shield, your great reward. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing. If you follow the scripture here, um, God says he's Abram's reward, yet Abram questions God's faithfulness right off by saying, well, yeah, that's good, but I don't have any kids. No children, no heir, nobody to leave anything to. You've made me a promise. I, you know, I'm extending it a little as to what he might have said. But basically he said, hey, I have no kids. God answers Abraham by saying that one will come from Abraham's own body and then promise that Abraham's seed will be very many, like this, the stars and so on. Abraham believes God, and we know that verse. When he believes God, God says, you are righteous on account that you believe. And God continues to be faithful, and Abram is faithful too. And God goes one step further, and we want to stop and look at this for a few moments, which is Genesis 15.1. God cuts a covenant with Abram so that there would be no more question of whether God was going to be faithful. And God also, in that cutting of the covenant, he also gives... Um, Abram, uh, uh, a prophetic word about not only that there will be descendants of Abram, but they will be, well, let's read it. Uh, we'll, we'll see for a second here. So let's start with verse 9. Then uh, God said to him, bring me a three-year-old young cow, a three-year-old she-goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young bird. So he brought all these to him and cut in half and put each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. Then the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, but Abraham or Abram drove them away. You know, over the past few weeks, we've talked about how sometimes something you're expecting God to do takes a little time. And you would think that God had just told Abraham, okay, do this, this, and this. Abraham knew what was going to happen. There was going to be a covenant. They were going to walk between it somehow. And, and th there would be this, this lasting covenant. But he understood because this is how they did it in those days. 
There's a difference here. Birds of prey came, and I'm going to tell you that when we come and accept the Lord, or later on in our life, when we've been believers for years, these birds of prey are always there trying to attack us. They're always trying to say, oh, you heard from God, but that was yesterday, this is today, and forget about it. And so Abram didn't allow that to happen. He fought and waited for God's covenant. So then in verse 12 we read, when the sun was about to set and a deep sleep fell on Abraham, behold, terror of great darkness was falling upon him. Then he said to Abram, know for certain that your seed will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years, which we obviously know the people were in Egypt for 400 years. But I am going to judge the nations that they will serve. And we know that Egypt was judged. And as they came out of the land, other nations were judged. But you, you will come to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age, then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun set and it became dark, behold, there was a smoky oven, smoking oven and a fiery torch that passed between these pieces. Now, I believe this is extremely important, but we'll come back to that in a second. On the day... On that day, Adonai cut a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your seed from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, and then it gives other locations. So in Genesis, this is a, a kind of a repetition of Genesis 12 of uh, God's promise to Abram. And traditionally, both parties would if you were going to make a covenant, both parties would walk between the slaughtered animals. And we get a little insight to this out of Jeremiah 34, 18 through 20. But basically what they're saying is, may it be done to me like them if I don't keep my covenant with you. And so they were, that's pretty much what the, why it was a covenant. But... What we know is that God appeared in the form of this smoking oven and this flaming torch that passed between the pieces. But we also know that Abram was asleep. So God alone passed through the pieces of the dead animals. And so the covenant was sealed by God alone. Nothing depended on Abram. Everything depended on God, who promised to be faithful to his covenant regardless. Regardless. This is such a hard concept for us to get. Look, when, when we do something wrong, oftentimes in this world we see immediate punishment. Sometimes we don't even do things wrong and there's punishment. I mean, we are a very judgmental people. We can be judged judging uh, as uh, in the political arena if we're Democrats and we can judge if we're Republicans. We're judging, judging, judging. And God here is saying that all of the judgments 
that I have against you as a people, I will not count if you come to me in faith I will not count them, but I will atone for your sin. You have nothing to do with it. You just have to come in faith. Because that's really what Abram did. He, he did this in faith. So the smoking ovens reminds me of many times the smoke or the cloud represented by the presence of God. We see that as a pillar of cloud with Israel in Exodus 13.21. We see it as the smoke on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19.18. We see it as the cloud of God's Shekinah glory in 1 Kings 8.10-12. And the burning torch reminds us the many times fire represents the presence of God as the pillar of fire with Israel in the wilderness, Exodus 13, 21, as the burning bush displayed the presence of God before Moses in Exodus 3, 4, as the fire from heaven that consumes sacrifices in 1 Kings 18, 1 Chronicles 21, and 2 Chronicles 7. But what it made me also think about was Matthew 3.11. Yochanan, or John, was speaking, and he says, As for me, I immerse you in water for repentance, but the one coming after me is mightier than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will immerse you in the Ruach HaKodesh and fire. And I believe that this fire is representing, in a sense, the covenant. Not only the covenant between God and Abraham and, and his descendants, but God's covenant is the, is the fire that, in a sense, he is placing within us. It's the guarantee and the assurance of life eternal with him. So right after the, this amazing covenant that God gave uh, Sarai and Abram, once again, because they're people, they sinned by not doing things God's way. I mean, it's, it's amazing because if you follow the chronology in Scripture, here's the covenant, and now here's sin. <laughs> it's just, it just incredible. So Sarai was not able to wait for God and his promise that was to both he and Abraham that they would have a child. So he gave her husband, Abram, to her servant, Hagar, in marriage, and they had Ishmael. I find it interesting that um, before there were relations between Hagar and, um, and Abraham, uh, Abram, they actually got married. Now, I realize that we're not into polygamy, but it is still interesting that they got married. And uh, it says a lot, I think, for the definition uh, of what marriage should be. But um, we'll leave that one alone as well. So from that sin, and I talked about this last night, from that sin came other sins. And uh, 14 years later, Yet, uh, after the covenant given in chapter 15 and the, the sin in 16, uh, God reminds Abram 
of the covenant made, he requires Abram and all the males to be circumcised. He changes his name to Abraham, changes Sarai to Sarah, and the parsha ends with Abraham's obedience to God's direction and, giving, and God giving one more promise. And the one more promise is found in Genesis 17, 21. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this set time next year. Well, I got to tell you, one of the reasons uh, our younger daughter is named Sarah is because of this verse. And uh, many of you know that it took uh, 12 years for our second child to come. And, um, and she came out of prophecy. She came out of a prophecy at a conference, at Messiah Conference, um, that almost sounded like this. It said, uh, this rabbi said, in one year, you will either, to, to my wife, you will either have a child or be pregnant. And we found, I'll give you the short version, we went to the conference the next year, nothing, and then five weeks later, we realized that Pat was pregnant, and it was a year to the day of the prophecy. So when I read this, it's kind of nostalgic for me, because I'm thinking, wow, uh, this, this is what God said even there. And, and, and so I, I have no problem believing this <laughs> because I saw God in action in our lives. And, and so he says, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac. And of course, Isaac wasn't even born yet, uh, whom Sarah will bear to you at this set time next year. So this is the kind of thing that God does to show his faithfulness. God is eternal. He keeps his covenants. And so I just want to kind of close with some thoughts. Galatians 3, 15 and 16. Brothers and sisters, I speak in human terms, even with a man's covenant. Once it has been confirmed, no one cancels it or adds to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It doesn't say, and his seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is the Messiah? Verse 29 says, if you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So God has signed his covenant to you and me. He has signed it. He's sealed it. He's delivered it. And God is faithful. The question is, He's faithful. We understand what his faithfulness looks like. What does our faithfulness look like? So the word is teshuvah. Teshuvah means to return. The reference is to return to God. And why this is required for our faithfulness is because like Abraham and Sarah Maybe even today, I hope not, but we're going to sin. And what shows our faithfulness is not our lack of sin, 
though I would hope that we would be getting closer and closer to a lack of sin. But that is not what shows our faithfulness. Our faithfulness is shown by our returning to God, even though we feel dirty. And God cleans us. God cleanses us because we repent before him. And he cleans us up, he, and, and he brings us close to him. It says that in Isaiah 59, 2, I believe it is, he says that, that your, your sin has caused you to separate from God, which means your cleansing will bring you closer to God. And so our faithfulness is the ability to say to ourselves, God still wants us even though we are give you a good word, schmutzig. Doesn't it sound like dirty? It is. Schmutzig. Okay? So, um, it's not Hebrew, by the way. Uh, okay. So, it's hard to understand that God could be so filled with grace when the world is filled with so much judgment. But... As I said, like Abraham and Sarah, we will sin, but we must return. God always has a place for us because he is faithful. We must return to him. We must return to him. God is saying to us, lech lecha, which means go forth yourself. And it refers to, in a sense, going forth into the promised land that God is provided in a sense for you and me. He is the promise. As we do teshuvah and return to him, the next step is lech lecha. We go forth to him into the land that he has promised us. And there is nobody in this sanctuary, if you have been in faith, that Yeshua is your Messiah, there is nobody in the sanctuary who does not have this purpose. God is not a respecter of people. He wants all to come to know his glory and his presence. So if you're having a problem, and you say to yourself honestly, you don't have to tell us, but just say to yourself, I've been a little bad lately. <laughs> yes, that's it. Jeannie can start this prayer. <laughs> Definitely having Tarzan at the end of my message is a sin. And God wants you to repent. Well, that's right. What happens is we lose power when this happens. So God wants us to tell him, I'm sorry, Lord. And then again, I believe, Lord, that you have atoned for my sins. And we think of that as something we would say as a new believer. But honestly, you have to tell yourself that because we, we live within our guilt. 
we just have so much guilt in our, in our being. And, and to know that, uh, once again that Yeshua is the remover of our sin because we have come to him and we repented and we believe in him. And then we just say, Lord, be number one in my life. And you can do this as a new believer, as somebody who's not a believer to become a believer, or as somebody who just wants to be restored and feel clean before the living God. We just sang that he is holy. We're going to sing another song in a moment that he is holy. And so when you understand the holiness of God, you can't come into his presence all dirty and schmutzig. You need, you need to be clean. And this is how we get clean. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you and worship you, Lord. Lord, we want to be clean. And with Lord, we not only want to be clean, but we want to be in your army and, and pray in your name and see the results of people being healed. And we want to see, Lord, that, that when we we call things out uh, even though they don't look that way we call them out because we have faith and we believe and we know who you are and we are standing on your promises and on your covenant that we will be a people after your own heart and we will pray in faith and do miracles and signs and wonders as you did because we love you and are called according to your purpose and so lord you wouldn't put us in the world without weapons and so you've given us weapons and they are spiritual weapons to take care of the spiritual problems which will overcome all the other things in our life and in the lives of others so we are encouraged this day. We're encouraged because you are faithful. You are worthy of our praise. And I pray for anybody who is feeling down and discouraged today that you would only reach out to the Lord. Tell him you're sorry. Because you know what? Discouragement is sin. It means we're not trusting God. So, Lord, even discouragement, we, we repent of. We want to trust you for every area of our life, Lord. And so we pray in the name of Yeshua for each person that they would come into the presence of God in a strong way because God is coming, is, is saying, come to Come to him. Those who are heavy laden with burdens, he's going to give us rest. He's going to give us peace. So, Lord, we pray in the name of Yeshua for that peace that passes all understanding, that it would guard our hearts and our minds in Messiah Yeshua. And if there's anything worthy of praise, Lord, our minds are going to dwell on that. We're going to live there. Thank you, Lord.
So, Lord, I pray now as we close our service that that you would be glorified by what is in our hearts, what is in our minds, what is in our spirit, what are the words we're singing, and that it will truly be intentional, that it won't be rote, it won't be something um, not important, it will be intentional because we love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. So, Lord, I pray for each and every person here today. In the name of Yeshua, amen.